and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. I'm going to talk to you guys today about rest, and from a worldly perspective, I'm probably the last person to talk to you about this. Um, my wife and I, we have, we have six kids, three biological, three adoptive, um, and uh, when we took in Solomon, Shiloh, and Ben those years ago, we just sort of turned our life upside down, and uh, kind of nothing was the same after that, and we're better off for it, uh, because there's some really awesome young men, but uh, Becky's parents were in town this last week, and they looked at the calendar that we had for May, and, and Becky was writing out June, and they said, how do you keep up with this? And we said... I don't know if we do, um, but uh, you know we're, we're doing our best. And so, from a worldly perspective, I am not the person to tell you about rest. I don't have any good vacation spots to talk to you about this morning. Um, I, I don't know where you should go for uh, multiple things that you might add up to assume that are rest. But what I do want to do with you is show you what the Bible has to say about rest. And so, this promised rest that we're going to read about today in Hebrews chapter four. Uh, again, the, the letter of Hebrews written to Jewish Christians before the fall of the temple in seventy. AD, so very like first generation Jewish Christians. Um, and these are people that their, their history would have been very wrapped up in the Jewish nation and the Old Testament scriptures. And so the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament over and over again. And what he's talking about in these passages is how the people of, uh, of Israel, the Israelites, were rescued out of Egypt. And, and then they went into the wilderness wanderings and they disobeyed God. Ten times they confronted him. And then eventually God says, you do not get to enter into the promised land because of this unbelief and disobedience. And so what we're going to talk about is how that rest remains and how for us as Christians we can enter, we can enter into what that rest is about. Now, the interesting thing about the Jewish people is that God rescued them and then he gave them the law. He rescued them by grace, by the blood of a lamb. And then when they were in the wilderness, then he gave them the law. This is a really interesting thing about God. He doesn't give us the law, say, figure it out, and then I'll save you. He saves us and then he leads us in truth. Okay, And so you, maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe that's your big takeaway is you view God as a rule keeper and you need to get it right before he'll accept you. He saves you and loves you and accepts you and then leads you in righteousness. Salvation is a gift of grace. Being led in righteousness is something that follows. Okay, And so maybe that's what you needed to hear today. You can rest from trying to earn your salvation and instead trust in Jesus Christ and receive what he has done for you. Maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Uh, but what I'm going to do with this passage is I'm going to take you through what, what's, what this, read this with me. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Who knows what passage this is? Uh, Timothy. Timothy? 
2 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy is really good too. Um, But this is 2 Timothy 3.16. And this is a really important part of what the Bible is. It says all scripture is inspired by God. That's literally God breathed. And it's profitable, useful for teaching, for training us what's right, for rebuking, telling us what's wrong, correcting how to get right, and training how to stay right. So you could take this and, and kind of, this is an interesting thing to do with any passage that you read through and go, okay, what's the teaching? What's the rebuking? What's the correcting and what's the training? So that's what we're going to do with this passage this morning. I'm going to walk you through Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 with this filter, okay? And so when I went, when I went to do this message, I don't know about you, I'm in a place where I could use some rest. Um, and I thought, you know, I'll just avoid the rebuking part because that kind of wears people down a little bit. And then I, said, then I read the passage and I went, well, I'd have to teach a different passage to do that. Um, there, there's, there are several things that we're told to avoid in this passage. Um, I had somebody come up to me afterwards and said that they, as we went through this, they, they were experiencing a lot of guilt. That is not what I'm trying to do. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. But if God is revealing things to you that need to change, um, here's the thing I want you to know about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is when God reveals something to you that you're doing that's wrong, and he wants you to confess it as wrong and go a different direction. Shame is from the devil, and it's telling you that you are wrong right? Shame is saying you are wrong. And, and shame is trying to beat you up to your core. Guilt is trying to reveal something that needs to change. And you need to understand God will, through his Holy Spirit, cause you to experience guilt of things that you've done wrong and that need to change. But prolonged guilt turning into shame, you believing that you are no good, that is from the devil. And so know the difference between those two things as we approach this. And that may not impact you today. You may just have some teaching that you, that you really identify with. That's what I needed to hear. You may have some correcting, uh, how to get right that you're going to go, man, I, I'm going to run away from this and go to this. And, or maybe you just want to know, how do I stay right? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Let me pray and we'll look at the passage. Heavenly Father, this morning, we ask that you would show each and every one of us what we need. I pray that we would open our hearts and allow you in to teach us what's right, to show us what's wrong, to correct us and help us get right, and then train us to stay in the right with you. Uh, We want to be at rest. We want to be at peace with you, God. We know that your son Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be justified and made right and at peace with you. So we thank you for his death, paying for our sins, washing it away once and for all so that we could be justified and made right. I pray that we would live in that place, that we would live in the place of rest and peace with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at these verses. Hebrews chapter four, verses one through three here at first. It says, therefore, since the promise to enter rest, his rest remains, let us beware or be afraid that none of you be found to have fallen short or fail to reach. So that first line, he's saying there's a promise that remains. And what's interesting is the way that comes across in the Greek is there are, there are those who left it behind. Maybe you've left God's rest behind. I want you to know that it remains for you, that it is still there, but he wants us to beware, watch out, be afraid that we don't fail to reach a place of rest and ease and justification with God. He wants us to attain that. He says, for we also have received good news 
just as they did. That word received is a perfect passive verb. Okay, so we'll get into a little bit of Greek verb tenses here. Perfect meaning it's a one-time thing that has ongoing results for the rest of eternity. That's a perfect verb. It's a one-time thing, I believed, and it has ongoing results for all of eternity. But it's also a passive thing. This receiving is something that we, we receive it from God. We don't attain what's right and what's wrong. We don't determine it for ourselves, but instead, through God's revelation, we receive the good news that Jesus Christ, the God that became man and died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life, we receive that truth, okay? So it's a perfect passive verb. We receive that thing from him. It's not something we do ourselves, but we receive it from him, and it has ongoing results for the rest of our lives, But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. So he talks about the the Jewish people. They hear the message of salvation. They're offered a chance to enter into God's rest, but instead they rebel against him, and they're not united with those who heard it in faith. Now, when we talk about the Bible, there are lots of manuscripts of the scriptures, and this is one place where manuscripts read a little bit different. And so here in the CSB, you have it say, the translation from an older manuscript say, they were not united with those who heard it in faith. If you were to go to the NASB, which uses some of the newer manuscripts, uh, it says, for indeed we have the good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. And so what both of these are telling us is that there's, there's something that we can do when we hear. Um, we can hear and be joined together as God's people in believing him. And that's kind of what the CSB manuscripts are saying. That, and the Greek word could actually be translated either way. Uh, but we together can hear the good news and be united together in following God. The other way that this word can be translated, this, this united with and hearing in faith, is the idea that we, we have the good news and we have faith. And it's kind of like we need to put them in the mixing bowl and turn on the mixer and mix together the good news with belief. And so what happens is sometimes people, they hear the good news and they're told, they're given the opportunity to believe, but you don't take the good news and belief and mix them together. And when we don't mix them together, it says that it is of no benefit. It doesn't profit those who hear. So to hear the message, but not combine it with faith is of no benefit. And so as you go through this today, as we go through this passage today, you need to hear that that God is going to offer you some truth today through the scriptures. But you have to take this truth and combine it with belief and mix it together for it to be of any benefit for you. You can hear it and not believe it. You can hear it and think you know better. We have to take these things and combine them for for them to be of any benefit. Verse three, for we who believed, and that's a present verb, we who have believed. Actually, the translation would be a little bit better if it said we who are believing. It's a present verb. We enter this rest, an active entrance into this rest, in keeping what he has said. 
And then he says, so I swore in my anger, they, the rebellious Israelites, will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. And so we see that God's plan is consistent, but we also see him drawing us back to the creation story in Genesis when God works for six days and rests on the seventh. And why does he rest? He rests to enjoy his creation. He invites us to do the same, to rest and enjoy his creation with him. So let's take a look at this. Uh, The teaching part, we can learn what's right, that there's a promised rest that remains, that for us as followers of God, he wants us to rest. He wants us to rest from our works. He wants us to enjoy creation. He wants to be good stewards of what he has given us. The other thing we see here is that God's plan is consistent, Uh, that in the original creation, there was work for six days and there was rest for the enjoyment of his creation with him, to take in what God has given us, to look at what we have as a blessing from him, to enjoy him and creation. Those are teachings that God has for us. Rebuking what's wrong, he says, don't be found out to have fallen short. Don't fail to grab hold of this message. Don't have this message not benefit you by failing to unite it with faith. He says, don't do that, right? Don't, don't, don't not rest and be one with God. Don't let this, minish, this message not benefit you, but instead unite it with faith. Watch out that you don't unite it with faith because if you don't unite it with faith, you'll fall into this wrath oath that there is no rest for unbelief. This is watch out. Don't do that. You could live away even as a Christian where you're not experiencing God's rest. So how do we get it right? He says, beware of unbelief and receive the good news. Listen to me, here's the good news, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. He rose from the dead to give you new life. You are fully forgiven and free from your past. Your current, your present is to be filtered through what God has for you and your future is secure in what he has promised to do, right? Rest in in him and the good news. Receive this belief, participate in the rest, seek it out. Seek out being united with God. Don't sit and wait and wonder and hope, but instead be active in pursuing God. So that's the first part here. He goes on and he says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, drawing us back to the creation narrative and how God rested to enjoy his creation. Again, in that passage, he says they, and he's referencing Psalm 95 in that passage, they, the rebellious Israelites, will never enter my rest. Now, here's a question. When you see repetition in the Bible, what should you do with it? Um, pay attention, right? And so he, he's going to talk about not entering rest multiple times. He's going to talk about, you're going to see the word today multiple times. And so there's this repetition, and he wants us to pay attention to it. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, that word could be translated disobedience or disbelief. Uh, The idea within the way that they're talking about disbelief and disobedience is that if you don't believe, you will disobey. Disobedience always springs from disbelief, and disbelief always leads to disobedience. Okay, And so if we find ourselves in a pattern of sin within our lives, behind it is unbelief. Okay, That's what he's drawing out in that word. Again, he specifies a certain day today. And that word is drawing to us that we shouldn't presume that we can wait until tomorrow. 
and many people will. You'll hear the message, and instead of uniting it with faith, you'll say, I could do that tomorrow. Uh, You'll hear God calling you to rest, and instead of pursuing him and resting in him, you'll say, I could do that another time. And he says, don't do that. Believe and enter rest today. Don't wait. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so what's he teaching us here? The teaching is that some will enter rest. The question is who? Kind of leaves it open-ended. Who's going to enter rest? We see that rest is the enjoyment of creation. The rebuking and what's wrong is rebels and disobedient will never enter rest. And, And so... Here's the thing. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's, he's transferred me from being a rebel to a child. But have you ever met a rebellious child? Right? And so he's saying you, as a child of God, could live in a rebellious way. You could live disobedient to the Father. And if you do that, you won't be experiencing rest with him right? Any of you have children, you know this. You have a disobedient and rebellious child and you discipline them. Their response to discipline isn't, that was so comfortable. Could we do it again? (laughs) Right? Or maybe you've been in a situation where you receive discipline and you go, man, you just go, that was a day at the beach. Let's try it again. You know, that's not how we experience correction. Instead, what the scripture teaches is that in the moment, nobody enjoys correction, but God reproves those whom he loves. And so he's going to guide us. You could be a follower of Jesus and be living in a rebellious, disobedient way with the father and allow your heart to become hardened. A calloused heart does this. It hears God's truth, and instead of allowing God's truth to enter in, it spurns it and causes a rub between you and God, and over time, that rub becomes a callous. It becomes hardened. And so if you hear God's voice over and over again and reject what he's saying to you, you're constantly rubbing against him, and your heart is becoming calloused and hard. And he's saying, don't let that happen in you. Don't live as a rebel. Don't be disobedient. If you do, you won't experience rest and your heart will become hard. Your ears will become clogged to God's voice if you do that over and over again. And so he says, don't don't do that. But instead, how to get right, God rests for enjoyment and we should too. We want to hear his voice. So he's saying, you could live as a rebellious, disobedient child and have your heart grow callous to God's voice. Or you could say rest with God is the true fulfillment of my heart. And this is the question that you have to ask yourself, is do I believe that my ways and choosing for myself is the true fulfillment of my heart, or do I believe that being close to my Father, being united with the Son, being filled with the Spirit, and Living with God is actually the true fulfillment of my heart. Because that's the choice that you're confronted with every day. Am I going to believe what my flesh wants? Am I going to believe what the world around me says? Or do I really truly believe that being near my father is the best place to be? Do I really believe that being united to the son and filled with the spirit is the best life I can live? That's the choice that you're making, that I'm making, that we're making each and every day. Where do I want to reside? 
as a disobedient child growing a hard heart or as a child of God living and enjoying his presence, his gifts, who he is, how he blesses. And he says the way that we stay right is we do that today. Uh, In the previous chapter we looked at, he says, as long as it is today, let's keep encouraging each other to build our faith in God, to trust him more. And so as long as today is called today, keep doing that. Right? And there's kind of a stop worrying about the past. Don't be overly preoccupied with the future. But today, how are you following God? Today, what is he telling you? He goes on, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There he's referencing how the generation 20 years of age and older at the time of the rebellion, they didn't get to enter the promised land. 20 years and younger, plus Joshua and Caleb, they did get to enter the promised land. And so there's a group of people that did enter into that rest, but, in, but it wasn't complete. Uh, Joshua did take them into the land, but it wasn't everything. There was still more that they were waiting for. He says, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. That word Sabbath in the Old Testament is uh, Shabbat. It means, it means rest. The Jewish people would address each other, particularly on Saturday, the Sabbath, and they would say Shabbat Shalom, rest and peace. And what we learn in the New Testament is that we should always have rest and peace with God because Christ has secured that for us. We should consistently be living in a place of rest and peace with God because Christ has secured it. How has he secured it? For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. How do we enter into God's rest? He says, stop trying to achieve it. Stop trying to earn it. Be eager, he does say, let us therefore make every effort, be eager to enter that rest, but know that we enter it not based upon our achievements, but by trusting God, so that no one will fall short of the same pattern of disobedience and belief. So what's right? The Old Testament rest was incomplete. The people entered the land, but there was more that they were waiting for. In the New Testament, we realize that this rest is real and greater, and that it is a gift, Again, God allowing us to be in harmony with him. That's a gift. It's not something that we earn. And so what do we rebuke? Personal work for salvation. If you believe that your work will attain salvation and God will owe you, he says, no. Let go of any idea that even remotely sounds like that. But instead, trust in God's finished work and stay right by being eager to trust God more. Right? We didn't become right with God through our own self-effort, and we don't get closer to God through our own self-effort. We get closer to God by learning that he is good, by believing in his kindness, by trusting he has what's best for us. He says, beware of falling into patterns of disobedience. And so that's what we should do today. We should eagerly seek trust in God and watch out for patterns of disobedience, things from our past that would creep in again. And so if you were to go to a theological dictionary and look up rest, it says something like this. A change of state from activity or work to a cessation from work that results in a feeling of refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension or worry, especially that God provides. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
This should be something that you are certain of in terms of your justification, your salvation. That there is no more work to be done because Jesus Christ performed all of it on the cross to save you from your sin and rose from the dead to give you a new life. All of that is a gift from God and so there should be no tension or worry about am I saved. As a Christian, you should not experience tension or worry about your salvation. If you, if you are, you're probably trusting in yourself and not in Jesus. But if you were to look at your day-to-day life, would you use the words refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension and worry to describe your days? We probably wouldn't. Why? Well, maybe we have the wrong definition of peace and rest. See, because Jesus said in the Gospel of John that he will give us peace, but not as the world gives it. See, we associate peace with an absence of conflict, an absence of strife, an absence of anything that would cause us to grow. But God's definition of peace is there is a storm and you're at peace in it. There is physical ailments. There are physical ailments. We do go through difficulties. We are hurt by other people. The world around us isn't as it should be. But we're at peace in the storm. And so the Christian, we rest from work and worry for safety, security, and salvation, knowing that Jesus has done all that is necessary to remove tension and bring peace or tranquility with God and others. That's all nice and theological. How does it play out? So here are some common factors that cause a lack of rest. The first one is is trauma, our past. We, we fail to enter rest because of something that's happened to us, abuse, abandonment, exclusion, rejection, or loss. We look at our past and we say, I, I can't be at rest because this happened to me and, and it defines who I am. We could stress about the present, work or money, relationships, isolation, bereavement, those types of things. Maybe, maybe you define yourself by your past. There's an event in your past where something happened to you and you filter everything through it. Maybe there's something going on in your present that's keeping you from seeing the fullness of what God has for you. You're filtering everything through your current stress or your past trauma. The other thing you could do is you could filter everything through uncertainty about the future an unhealthy preoccupation with how and when future events will play out. You say, God, my child should be like this and they should be that way today. And he says, give it five years. You go, five years? We got six of them. <laughs> or you're unhappy with your job situation and you believe that God should give you this type of job and this type of environment or you're uncertain about where our country is headed, or you're, un- you're uncertain about something in the future, and you're saying, I, you, you grow this unhealthy preoccupation with how and when these events are gonna play out, and you believe it's your job to tell God how and when they should play out. And if he does something other than that, well, that's stressful. I mean, look at what Jesus has to say about each of these. For trauma, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, if you forgive others their offenses your heavenly father will forgive you also. 
But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive you your offenses. Your father will not forgive your offenses. What's he saying? That in order to be saved, you got to go around forgiving everyone? Well, we just learned that salvation is a gift. It's not something that you earn, so that doesn't work. What's he telling you? He's telling you that if you allow the trauma that someone else has caused you to never be forgiven, it will own you. And so whatever it is in your past that someone did to you, if you're unwilling to forgive, that thing will own you. But instead, he's calling us to forgive. Why and how? He's calling us to forgive. Why? Because he has forgiven us. And how should we forgive? By the same blood that was shed to forgive me. I can forgive what you've done wrong to me because Christ has forgiven me. Christ followers are forgivers. It's who we are. And that should overcome the trauma of the past. And that's not to say that the past doesn't leave a scar. You can go back and you can feel it. But if that scar defines who you are, you've got to let it go. Stress, he says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Here's the question. If you are stressed about the events of today in your life, and you're allowing them to weigh you down, and you're constantly worrying about them, Jesus' question is, what are you gaining by worrying? Is your worry fixing the problem? Is, is, your, is your anxiety making the situation better? Is your answer to the problem the only way God could work through this situation? Or would you rather recognize that you have a father who cares for you? He knows your circumstances. He's with you in your circumstances. And he's using them to grow you. How about an uncertainty about the future? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is your unhealthy preoccupation with how certain events are going to play out, is it, is it helping you? What if, what if you just took care of what God had in front of you today? What if you just were to seek him today and trust that the good works he has in front of you today will take care of the issue that you're worried about in the future? That's essentially what he's saying. Right? When you build a puzzle, you pour all the pieces out on the table. And you don't just expect them to connect themselves. You have to grab a piece and you figure out where does this piece right now go? And once you figure it out where that piece right now goes, then you can move on to the next one. And maybe, maybe with a puzzle, I mean, you have an idea of what the future holds, what it's going to look like. But that's essentially what he's saying here is take care of the piece of the puzzle that's in your hand today. Trust God with that piece today and allow the whole picture to play out in his timing. 
How about a couple more? Identity, working for meaning rather than receiving it. Many people do this. We work for our identity rather than receiving it from God. We believe that our achievements and actions determine who we are rather than receiving it from God. How about mental health, often characterized by sadness that causes one to shut down, feel numb, empty, or incapable of coping? Um, Let me just say this. If you feel shut down, numb, empty, or incapable of coping today, do not isolate yourself. Don't go to some quiet place and think you're going to figure it out by yourself. Um, if you're in this state of, of numbness and shut down, empty and capable of coping, you need a counselor. You need somebody that you can go and talk to and share what you're working through and, and pour that out. And hopefully it's somebody who knows the word of God and is filled by the spirit of God so that their advice can lead you to the ways of God. Right? And so we have some of those people on staff. If you're going, I am numb, I am shut down, I need help, don't leave here today without talking to somebody about how to get help. There's also negative coping strategies. These other things weigh on you, and so instead of turning to God, you go to alcohol, you overeat, you look at pornography, you you buy things compulsively, you go to drugs or gossip or something negative, right? Something that allows you to escape the pain but doesn't deal with the pain. Okay, And so what does Jesus have to say about each of these? He says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. He says, I didn't, You didn't choose me. I chose you. Who you are as a child of God is not achieved, it's received. And you need to know that. Because some of you are looking at your past and you're allowing it to define you. Some of you are looking at your your current and it's defining you. Some of you are so uncertain about the future that it's defining you. And what God is saying is that your identity is none of those things. It's not what you have achieved. It's what you receive from God. And our identity is wrapped up in who God says that we are, not our actions or someone else's actions. Mental health, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If you are shut down, if you are so overwhelmed that you cannot cope with life circumstances. You need to know that God is with you and that he is for you. And whatever it is that you're going through, he is with you and he is for you. But do not stay isolated. The negative coping strategies, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what coping strategies are about. Is there something negative happening in your life? There's a hurt and instead of engaging that hurt, the coping strategy numbs you from it. 
That's what, that's what you're doing if you have a negative coping strategy. There's, there's an event, there's a circumstance, there's something going on in your life and instead of addressing it, you're numbing yourself from it. And what Jesus is saying is instead of numbing yourself from it, why don't you hop in this yoke with me and we'll push through the other side of it. Right? And so instead of turning to something that numbs you, get in the yoke with Jesus and allow him to haul you through the difficulty. Because on the other side of it is proven character. On the other side of it is growth. On the other side of it is further trust in Jesus because he is enough and he will see you through it. But every time that you turn to your coping strategy, you're saying, I don't want to push through. I just want to be made numb to it. And as long as you do that, it will grow and get worse. It will not get better. It will grow and get worse. So let me finish you with a couple of things here. What, what do you need to hear today? What is God teaching that this promise rest remains, that his plan is consistent, that some will rest? Who? Those who believe by faith and do so today. His rest is the enjoyment of creation. He, his rest is a gift. It's greater than what was existed in the Old Testament. He's saying rebuking and telling you what's wrong would be to fall short of this, to, uh, to hear the message without benefit because you don't unite it with faith. He's warning you that if you live in a place of unbelief, you'll experience a lack of rest. Rebels never enter rest, disobedient never rest, and those who never rest develop a hardened heart. He's warning you that if you're working for your salvation, you will never be saved. How to get right, beware of unbelief and receive good news. God rests for enjoyment, we should too. The best place to be is hearing God's voice and enjoying his presence. We should trust in God's finished work. We wanna train to stay right, we continue to receive belief. There's an active participation, eager to enter his rest, eager to be by his side today. Eager to be by his side today. Growing in trust, and watching out for patterns of disobedience or disbelief. We close you with Jesus' words here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That's rest. God with you forever. That's rest. That's enjoyment. That's fulfillment. That's a meaningful life. And it's done because we love Jesus and we want to keep his commands. And the one that we receive is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. It says the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this probably sounds pretty weird to you. And that's because the eyes of your heart have been not yet been opened to, to truth. God may be doing that today. He may be opening your eyes to truth. The question at that point in time is will you unite faith to truth and mix them together? Would you do that today? Would you trust in Jesus Christ today? The truth that you've heard, unite it to faith and be saved, experience rest. But you do not know him, excuse me, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Those six things that I went through, 
the past, the present, the future. Identity, mental health, negative coping strategies. All of those things are symptoms of unbelief. The root is unbelief. All of those things are symptoms of unbelief. And he's saying, if you don't believe, you will not experience rest. And so that's what he's calling us to today, is belief and rest. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would give us rest. I thank you that you have given us rest, that through your son Jesus' death on the cross, I can stop worrying about whether or not I'm united to you or not. Because Jesus has secured for me salvation. His, his death covered my sin and washed it away once and for all. His resurrection from the dead has given me new life. And, and God, I don't always get this right, but I do believe in the depths of my heart that next to you is the best place to be. And so will you show me maybe an area where I'm straying away from you and lead me to be near you? Will you repair my heart? Will you lead me beside still waters? God, will you give me and everyone here this morning rest? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.